Well, look, Dad, your friend is building it. My friends, we were downtown driving around the new soccer stadium that is being built right here in St. Louis, Missouri, when my son Patrick yelled that out from the back seat of the car. Look, Dad, your friends are building it. He was referring to my friends at Keeley Companies. Keeley Companies is proud to be a part of the team that is bringing Major League Soccer to America's first soccer capital right here in St. Louis, Missouri. As construction partners of the St. Louis City Stadium, they are looking forward for this project to be a place for entertainment, camaraderie, and passion for generations to come. You can learn more about that project and look what else they're building, Dad, by visiting them right now online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. Today, and I say this a lot, but today I really, really mean it. You are in for a treat for two different reasons. Number one, the episode that you are about to listen to was not only recorded live, but it's streamed live, meaning if you follow us on any of the social platforms, you had an opportunity today to tune in and listen to our guest, to ask her questions, to provide feedback to be part of the programming. So if you don't follow us, you ought to, because about once a month or so, we stream out these episodes. And this one today was totally worth checking out live. Why wait for it now? No, you should have been there live when it happened in real time. We brought on someone that I've looked up to for as long as I can remember. We grew up in the same area, this leader and I. She grew up on a different side of the river in a different state, but we breathe the same air. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. This woman is from East St. Louis, Illinois. And I grew up one day wanting to become an athlete, wanting maybe even to become an Olympian, but ultimately wanting to make a difference. And this lady did all three of those things. She grew up and she was an athlete. She became a four-time wildly successful Olympian, and she has spent a lifetime subsequently giving back. So today, friends, family, and heroes, you have an opportunity of tuning in and listening to the life story, the heartbeat, and the joy of my hero. Her name is Jackie joyner Kersey. You're going to be tuning in right now to a streaming episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to a very special edition of the Live Inspired Podcast, streaming to you live from St. Louis with John O'Leary. I could spend the next 35 minutes introducing my guest because she is that remarkable, that known, that accomplished, and that significant. But maybe the way that I'll introduce her today is to let you know that two days ago, speaking in Boston in front of a thousand people, I brought up the names of a few of the folks recently that we have interviewed. And they nodded their heads when I brought up some names like, wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. That's really impressive. And then I brought up this woman's name. And as soon as I said her name, the entire room started applauding. This is a woman who is known, but this is a woman who is known not so much for what she has accomplished as much as she's known for what she's given back. 
Her name is Jackie Joyner Kersey, and I have the pleasure today, my friends, of bringing her life, her story, her challenges, and her accomplishments in front of you today. So Jackie Joyner Kersey, my friend and my hero, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so honored. <laughs> this is awesome. So for two people who are tuning in today from a cave, perhaps, and somehow they don't know who Jackie Joyner Kersey is. When you get introduced in the marketplace and you're, you say, hey, I'm Jackie, and they say, you look familiar, your name sounds familiar. How do you introduce yourself? Really, I just, you know, when some people say, oh, you look familiar, and I'm like, well, yeah, maybe our path crossed, you know, maybe we're at the grocery store or church, or, you know, <laughs> I try not to, um, you know, then some say, did you do sports? And I'm like, yes, you know, and, but I really try to make people feel comfortable, yes. you know, around me while I'm feeling comfortable and just, and then they start getting to understanding the Olympic stuff. And then a lot of time I get approached about the community work that I do. And, and so to me, that is so uh, rewarding. And you listen, I've done an awful lot of research, reading, viewing, watching, listening on your story, on your past. And one of the things that amazes me most is we could spend the entire podcast talking about the accomplishments. But every time I hear you interview, there's two things that move me deeply. Number one is you have a big, goofy grin on your face the entire <laughs> time. And every video I saw of you online, every picture I ever have seen taken of you, you have this brilliant grin. So my first question to you is, why is there so much joy that you radiate? For me, I just try to live in the moment. And and even though there's negativity, but I really just try to take, you know, just something good out of the day, you know, and something that can make me smile. You know, when I come to the center here and just seeing all the, the young kids, you know, uh, wanting to give you a hug or, you know, someone say a kind word. And every time there's a kind word, there could be someone that just might have a negative word, but I don't let that stick to me, mm. you know, but for me, it's the joy that I have on the inside and how much I want to spread that to so many people. Well, you're spreading it to so many people right now. We're getting people chiming in already that they are huge fans. And I'll remind our listeners and our viewers right now to feel free to let us know who you are, where you're tuning in from. And if you have questions today for Jackie, do not hesitate to type them in. We will get to them at the very end, I promise. So let us know where you're tuning in from. And if you have questions, ask away. Jackie, you talked about the center here. So uh, let's talk about here, but instead of talking about it in 2022, let's, let's back the train up a little bit farther to where you were born and a little bit of your childhood. So I am a St. Louis, Missouri guy. You grew up just on the other side of the river in East St. Louis. What was childhood like for you? Yes. Yeah, so uh, growing up in East St. Louis, I have two younger sisters and an older brother and um, a mother and father. Uh, I'm the oldest girl and we lived in my great grandmother's home. And uh, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of materialistic things, but we had a lot of love and and we were taught a lot about values and respect, respect for ourselves as well as respect for others. You know, and then also uh, a real desire to work hard in life and to set goals. And, and and sometimes, you know, things might not work out like you plan, but you don't give up. You stick with it. Yes. And and so and that's how it was, because my mom and dad were teenagers when they had my brother Al first and then myself. But 
never did uh, my mom or dad want to give up on us. We had to continue to fight and work hard and also appreciate the love that was in our home and being able to share that outside our home. You're talking about your home and we talked a little bit about your community, East St. Louis. You know, when I travel, Jackie, I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm, I'm from St. Louis. I'm from this region. People have an immediate response when they think of East St. Louis. Did, growing up, what did you think about your community where you were from? Yeah, growing up in East St. Louis, you know, home is home. You know, that's your foundation. And even though others might have a totally different perspective and then also the perception, but uh, there are a lot of great people in the community and there, there are things that's happening in our community that I think happen in communities uh, all around, all around the world. But uh, I could never be ashamed to say where I was from. Mm. And that was very important to me to let people know that I was from East St. Louis. And even though it, it is tough at times, but that's a part of when, when I think of a community, you think of a village. You know, I think of the days when we could walk the street, the days when people that was in your community knew if you were doing something wrong, could call call your parents and let them know, or they could say something to you mm. without me getting defensive, but taking it from taking it knowing that it was coming from a good place. You grew up in this community, but you did not grow up with track shoes on. You did, you did not necessarily grow up around the track. It was not until I think you were age nine before you ran your first race. And then one thing that amazed me is it wasn't like you were wearing a gold medal at the end of that first race. So when did you begin to recognize that you might have a gift athletically? So for me, I, you know, I came through the Mary Brown Center. It was a community center and I was exposed to dance, you know, Catherine Dunham, who was from our community. Uh, the arts and crafts did a, work a lot with the Meals on Wheels programs. I learned my Roman numerals through this community center. And then they had different sports. So I got involved with track and field and we were running the park. We ran on the cinder on the dirt. But uh, my first competition, I finished last. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I just love going, coming to showing up every day, going to practice, listening to the coaches and and then I, you know, I just said to myself, if I can improve a tenth of a second, if I was running or a half an inch, if I was jumping, that meant the work that I was doing was paying off. Mm. And I realized that fourth through ninth would get all different color ribbons. Yes. And then one, two and three, you know, they got hardware. And I'm like, oh, I got to figure out how I can get on the podium. And that's how I set my goals. And I continue to set my goals that way. Your mother was not hugely into athletics at this point. When did she begin to recognize that this little girl who finished last and then seventh and then sixth and ultimately first, that this little girl had a talent and uh, it was part of her job to uh, to bless it and encourage it? My mom was, I, you know, I strict, you know, and my dad knew a lot about athletics. My mother wanted me to get a job, get an education. And it wasn't until, you know, we would go to the local uh, grocery store one of the clerks at the grocery stand or at the store was as we were checking out we said oh congratulations i read about you in the newspaper mom like well why are you in the newspaper <laughs> i'm like well mom i did this event and i did well and so my mother was always about if running is what i love doing the passion for it be committed show up if any coaches or anyone is picking me up don't have them waiting for me be outside ready to go and take what I'm doing very seriously. 
And so she didn't really grasp, grasp the, uh, the concept of athletics, but she knew that it was one way to motivate me to make sure that I stayed on top of my academics. I made sure that my room was clean. Anything that involved sports, she would take that away if I hadn't done the other things that I was supposed to do. Mm. What's the lesson that you learned from that? The lesson I, I, I learned from that was one, to set goals, to follow through, you know, and, and to know that when I think of where we are today, it's balance. Because my mom was trying to tell me that, I don't care about you running. You better make sure that room is clean. You better make sure you did all your homework. Then you could go out and what she would call play. That one play for me is like, this is very seriously, but had to have the balance. I couldn't have one without the other. And though, and even though my sisters would help me sometimes, you know, I was like, okay, I got to get to practice. And, you know, they would help clean up. And it wasn't until we disagreed with one another, me and my sister, then they would tell, well, she didn't clean her room up, you know? Mm. <laughs> Jackie, do you remember the first time you watched a Summer Olympics? Yes. I remember when I turned 14, I saw the 76 Olympics on television. And that was the beginning of it starting to make sense for me because I had read about Bates Harris, who was just an amazing, incredible woman and athlete. And then the Wilma Rudolph story. But then actually seeing yeah. Evelyn Ashford, you know, and at that time they would put the university, they put UCLA. And it just started really shaping my mind to think like, wow, you know, because I would wear my hair in cornrows and and I, I started thinking that, well, maybe one day I could go to that school or, I, but my biggest thing was like, you know, if I make the Olympic team, I could be on television. You know? <laughs> I didn't know I could win. <laughs> you're going for this goal. You you uh, are the, in the Olympic competition in the in the practice rounds, and uh, you finish eighth, is my understanding. And a gentleman named Brooks Johnson, yes, whispers into your ear. You never met him before. You didn't know who he was. Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. So t tell us who Brooks Johnson is, and tell us what what that meant to you back then. Yes. Yeah, so my uh, first opportunity to make my first Olympic team was I was a senior in high school. And I went to the Olympic trials and I finished eighth in the long jump. And at that time, uh, they didn't really know that I was a multi-eventer. I did the pentathlon as well, but I wasn't invited to compete in the pentathlon. So I was invited to compete in the long jump. And the long jump didn't go, you know, I, I think I jumped 20 feet eight. I know the distance. And, and I was kind of down and out. And then as I was leaving, you know, the stadium, uh, Brooks Johnson, who I didn't know him personally, but I, I had spoken with him on the phone because he was the head track and field coach at Stanford uh, University at the time. But I had, this, I had already signed to go to UCLA. And he whispered in my ear that, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And I was like, I didn't quite really understand it. I understood what he meant by that. And then four years later, Brooks Johnson is our Olympic coach in the 1984 uh, Summer Olympic Games in Los Angeles. But more importantly, my my coach at the time, before Bobby became my my husband, he would send me to work with, with uh, Brooks uh, in the high jump and my 800 meters. And yes, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You know, put people in your, in your life, you know, as long as you are open to receive them. Yes. And, and we've been friends ever since. <laughs> 
you know, th there's a picture of you that I love where you're running. You're in California now. You've, you've left, left behind my Midwest gray skies and you went all the way out to Southern Cal. You're at UCLA. You're living the dream and life is going extraordinarily well and your times keep getting better and your jumps keep going farther and everything is going just perfect for you, Jackie. And then Lord works in mysterious ways. And then your mom passes away. Yes. I believe you're a freshman in college. This is your, this is your mom. This is your hero. Uh, talk about how that came to pass and what got you through those days. I actually ended up going to UCLA on a basketball scholarship. And, and so I knew I wanted to run track because I knew I wanted to make the Olympic team in track and field. And so my freshman year at UCLA, you know, I always told my mother that I'm not going to be homesick. You know, everything's going to be all right. Man, when I traveled so far away, I was homesick, but I didn't really want to uh, worry my mother. So a lot of times I would get off the phone and I would just cry, you know, in my dorm room. But I wanted her to know that I was OK. Then I'm, I'm playing basketball. Same time, I'm having trouble with my breathing and they diagnosed me as being an asthmatic. Yes. And then um, we have our game against Long Beach State. And at that time, Long Beach was probably ranked number three in the nation. And they had the number one player in the country on their team. I had to defend her and I had a great game. I ended up rushing back to my dorm room. And at that time, we had the landlines. I could call and ask, uh, you know, call collect. My mother would reject. I mean, she would call me back, yes. you know. And so this night she calls me back and I could tell something was, wasn't right. But I didn't know because as I grew up and my mother would always tell me, you live each moment like it's your last. Tomorrow isn't promised to you. Mm. So even when I would talk about what I wanted to do at the beginning of the week, on the weekend, and she would like, no, get closer to the weekend. Don't tell me what you want to do on the weekend. So as I'm having this conversation with her and I could tell that uh, she was sniffling and, you know, like I thought she had a cold and she was saying what well, she's going to see go see the doctor tomorrow. Yes. And that was kind of concerning, you know, because we don't really talk about tomorrow. We always talk about the moment. And and little did I know, you know, this is probably at midnight and I get a call, I think between two and four o'clock in the morning, that my mother is very ill. I need to get home right away. And I, I know my aunt told me my mother had died. And, I, and I, I thought maybe I was dreaming. I just wasn't hearing it because I'm like, I just talked to her. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I got the news and I traveled from Los Angeles to St. Louis over to East St. Louis at that time, St. Mary's Hospital. And then come to find out my mother was uh, heavy contagious, you know, and uh, she was bleeding from every organ in her body and she had contracted the worst form of meningitis. Yes. And that uh, as I gathered my, my sisters and my brother and my dad was there, but my mother would always put a lot of responsibility on me and and they made me, you know, make the decision. Either we take her off, I call it the breathing machine, but, you know, the respiratory in hopes of, that we would have a glimpse of hope, but it wasn't meant to be. And so uh, my mother passed age of 37. And, and so that was really, really a uh, very challenging time yes. for me as well as for my, my sister and my, my brother, because we just, we had each other, but, and at one point I thought I would stay home and try to help, 
you know, my sisters. I wanted to go somewhere where I knew people would show me so much love. And I wanted to go back to the center where I grew up in. And, and I go over there and there's padlocks on the door and the center had closed down. I just started thinking, where do the young people go? And then as I traveled back to my aunt's home, thinking that I would stay home and I just saw what I believe uh, a vision of my mom, you know, cause we had talked about if I go to college, you know, you graduate, you see everything through. We didn't have a home. I didn't have nowhere to live. And I, one thing I had going for me was my scholarship. I knew that if I went back to Los Angeles, that I had a dorm room, I had a bed I could sleep in. There's a cafeteria where I could get all the food I could ever want and let me just see this through. And even though I knew it was going to be challenging, but just take it one step at a time. You see it through. Uh, you, you take, I think, in a, a remarkably brave step to leave home, to go back out to California, to continue your, your, your journey in basketball, in track, in sports, athletically, academically. It ultimately allows you to enter into the Olympics in 1984 in Los Angeles, your own backyard. Take us back to what it's like to represent your country and walk into that track surrounded by what hundred thousand people cheering. Oh what, what, what is that like as a young woman? You know, uh, walking into the stadium in the Coliseum, you know, I take it back when I was competing, you know, we might have a few hundred or a thousand people watching us. Right. So now when you get to the next level, you have the Olympic level. And it didn't really dawn on me until it was 84 at the opening ceremonies. And I wasn't able to participate in the open ceremonies because the following day I was going to start my competition. But I went and I sat in the stadium and I was just in awe of all these people from all over the world watching. And it was like, wow, they're going to be watching you tomorrow, you know? And so it was really breathtaking to take in. But it was exhilarating to know that you dream about this, but you never know if it's going to become a reality. And to be in that moment, because I was dealing with an injury and, and it was just one of the most memorable moments I will always cherish to know that you're representing your country at the highest level. Yes. You know, because I just thought it was just, it was something about when I was a teenager wanting to get that USA uniform and being able to wear that USA uniform, you know, because at that time, you know, if you had, if you made the Olympic team, only you and the other Olympians had those uniforms. Now, you know, everything is so commercialized, everybody can get them, but it was just so, uh, just amazing because I remember athletes from this area who had made the Olympic team and they were parade around in their USA uniforms. And you're like, wow, one day I'm going to get me one. Mm. And so it is, it's really an honor, a privilege to represent USA at the highest level. Yes. You know, when it comes to, because it's the pinnacle for us, the Olympics, and being able to stand on either podium. But in me, I'm blessed that I can say I stand on the top of the podium from gold to silver to bronze. Yeah. All of them. And, and I, I, Maybe ironically, 84 Olympics, you are on the silver level. I think Seoul, four years later, you have the greatest Olympics by far, by any measurement of your career. It's a, it's a remarkable accomplishment. And then into Barcelona four years after that. But it's Atlanta that I wanted to spend just a couple minutes talking about. I think, Jackie, knowing your story, knowing your heart, this is your greatest Olympics. 
And although the flag doesn't fly because you uh, finished with the gold, what you did in that final competition of your career is nothing short of remarkable. So would you take us to the finish or the starting line, I should say, and the pressure you felt as you're getting ready to make the last jump of your Olympic career? Yes. You know, 96, I can see it as if it was, you know, yesterday, (laughs) you know, uh, that year, so many things were going, going, you know, in moving in the right direction. That's the same year that summer we break ground on, uh, eventually, uh, building the Jackie Jordan Tracy center, uh, two weeks later, I'm going to the Olympic games. I'm dealing with a hamstring injury, looking to compete in the seven event discipline They have Teflon. Uh, the first event goes well, but by the high jump, my leg was just, uh, wasn't responding. And so my husband come out of the stadium and, and I hear someone, you know, I hear footsteps, but I know Bobby can't be out of the stadium on, on the, on the, the tarp of the high jump. Cause that's where I was high jumping and saying, no, I'm not going to allow you to do this to yourself. So maybe, uh, we'll pull from the heptathlon and give my leg a few days to calm down and see if I can compete in the open long jump. The day of the finals of the open long jump is that I'm just praying Got Dr. Lehman there, making sure that my leg is good. And, and it was just nerve wracking, but I, what I had experienced 15 years early in my first Olympic games in 84, I wasn't mentally strong. You know, my leg was injured, but it wasn't as injured as it was in 96 and, and how, how much I made it out to be instead of me focusing on trying to get the job done. And that's all I could remember. And all I muster up in 96 was that to think positive. You know, if the leg going to go out, they're going to send a gurney out there and they're going to wheel me off the track. But I am not going to give up on myself. I'm in sixth place in the long jump with a last jump to go. I line myself up on that runway. I visualize myself coming down, executing, climbing in the air, holding myself for a second. And let's see what the distance is going to be. So as I travel down that runway, I hit that board climb, look back, see a white flag, which means I got a legal jump in. And then when they put seven meters up, I knew, you know, and in my mind, in my heart, I was going for the win. And I think because I was going for the win, I was able to come away with the bronze medal. Mm. If I had just been going for a safe jump for the bronze medal, I probably would have ended up in eighth place. So yes. And that's why the 96 Olympics, the long jump, that one moment there has been so, that medal means so much to me because I could have given up. And all I said to myself, if I tell young people today, you can turn a doubter into a believer as long as you believe, never give up on yourself. Mm. And that's what I was telling myself. Jackie, knowing that I'm about to interview you yesterday, my kids who are also huge fans, uh, we go in the backyard of the O'Leary, the O'Leary backyard, and we start long jumping. <laughs> Mr. John O'Leary is now, he, I now have physical proof, 12 feet is how far I can jump. Okay. <laughs> you almost double that. So I, I flashed a picture a moment ago. I'd like you to see it again. What, what is it like to soar? The sore with people watching and cheering and pressure on like, what is that moment like for you? I know it's really, uh, because when you're in the moment, 
when you executing and you just flying, I, I can't imagine how uh, when the birds and the eagles, when they just soar and fly the freedom, you know, and that's what it feels like to know that you train so hard and, and it comes down to, you know, you putting it all together mm. and, and not only, I guess the exhilaration for myself, but also I love the, the respect and everything for the people who helped me to get there, yes. that I was able to go out and execute what I had been prepared to do. Let's talk about what you executed on. You you launched, the white flag went up, you got the bronze medal, and it matched beautifully a few of the other medals that you received. I don't know who this gorgeous girl is, but she's got some medals blinging over her right shoulder. I, I just I love this picture. There are a lot to choose from. I really love this one. And then it's the next one where you are about to step into a, a breakfast of champions. What is it like for anybody? But in particular, a girl from the Midwest who went through life with some profound challenges, stated and unstated, to accomplish what you've accomplished and to end up on the front of a cereal box that kids around the world will grab, will pour milk on top of, will look at as they eat and imagine the kind of future they can have. What is that like for you? You know what? It's really very humbling, you know, and to know that... Uh... I did something that I love doing and not knowing all the rewards as well as awards that would come along with that. And I try to keep everything in perspective and not lose sight of Jackie, the person, but to be on the weave box or to be invited to places that I didn't even know that uh, you could be invited to, you know, and it's just really uh, an awesome experience. But I also try to make sure that I represent, you know, myself as well as my family mm -hmm. and and as well as my sport in the best light possible. We could talk about that family. I think we'd run out of time if we did so. But you you are the royal family of Olympians. You, you uh, have been trained and married to a fellow named Bob. We could talk about that or your brother or your sister-in-law and all these other things that you've accomplished and achieved. And they're brilliant. But as I said in the introduction, Jackie, it's not what you've received that inspires me and had a whole bunch of people in Boston applauding you. It's what you've decided in your life to give back. There's a picture we have now of a center that is graced with your name. Talk about what the, what the center is and, and where it is and what it does. Oh, yes. The Jackie Joyner Kersey Center is located in my hometown of East St. Louis, and we do after school programming. We also uh, provide transportation, pick our students up from school, bring them to the JJK Center. They also get a meal. Uh, they go through our enrichment. We turn my autobiography, A Kind of Grace, into a curriculum called JJK Winning in Life, based mm -hmm. off of 14 different principles that was a part of my life as I was uh, evolving and growing up. And my hope and prayers is that we're able to plant these seeds with our students at a very young age, and it becomes transformative for them to uh, later on in life. You know, we also have an academy for uh, kindergarten and uh, first grade. We're going to go up to three grade levels, you know, and so we do our STEM. We have agriculture. We working with uh, U of I Extension and the uh, Danforth Plant Science Center as we have the JJK Food and Agriculture Innovation Center. We're building, and and so really, it's a holistic approach for the work that we're doing. 
in the hopes of trying to inspire. My hope is to inspire our young people to become great human beings that I think they would do great things in life. Jackie, it's easier to go in the backyard, grab a white flag, raise it high, hop on a plane and leave town. You could. You, you've got relationships everywhere. You've got friends everywhere. You've got the resources to do exactly that. You can live anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world. You've put your roots purposefully in the Midwest, purposefully in East St. Louis, and purposefully invest in yourself in these relationships of children that others candidly have turned their backs on and walked away from because it seems kind of hopeless. It seems like a long road to, to tow. Where do you get that energy and courage and audacity to keep striving to make a difference for these young people? You know, I, I think, uh, John, it's more like when we say uh, hopeless, I think of hope. You know, it was very important. I knew very early on that I would come back into the community because I wanted our young people to be able to touch me, be able to talk to me, not just see me on a TV screen or read about me in the newspaper or in their social study books, as they would tell me. But it was very important that I want them to know that uh, the impossible is probable. You mm. know, you can do and become anything your mind can imagine through hard work. You know, I don't walk in their shoes and they don't walk in my shoes, but we can say we do walk the same streets. We do uh, experience in living in the same environment. But if you work hard, that you can turn a doubter into a believer. And, you know, so it was very important for me to come back because every time I come back, they'd be like, that's not you, Miss Jackie. You in Hollywood. And I'm like, Hollywood is where we make it. Hollywood is right here in East St. Louis. You're Hollywood, you know. I mentioned earlier in our conversation that in every single picture ever I've seen of you, you have this brilliant smile, the same smile you've been gracing our, our viewers with today. What I also want to acknowledge, though, right now is in every picture I found with others, they also were radiating, radiating that joy. You know, here, here's a picture of you leading a parade. I mean, the, the streets are packed with people wearing red. They're trying to get physically fit. But more than that, they exude hope and faith and joy and life in a marketplace that seldom does. Jackie Joyner, Kersey, what, what do you do to not only personally show up with that mindset, but to intentionally go viral with it? What, what, what's part of that secret sauce for you? <laughs> I don't know if it's a secret sauce, but I truly believe in meeting people where they are, but then also being able to listen to what they're saying in hopes that they in return would listen to me. And so uh, surround myself with positive people. Uh, and, I, and I think that's very important. And every day it's not going to be a great day, but you can find something good out of that day, you know, and that's what I try to focus on is that, you know, when people saying you're tired, they say, no, you can't be tired. You made it over here. And they go, oh, yeah, see, put a smile on their face that way, you know. Awesome. <laughs> So, Jackie, you've written about your life story. You've taught us how to do, to create better life stories for ourselves. And I, I had a very difficult time pulling through only three quotes from you that it, that I admire, because your whole life I admire. Like the, the, the entirety of it is is remarkable. But I want to put in front of you three quotes, and uh, in your own words, have you then unpack what you mean when you say this? So, quote number one. Okay, quote number one. It is better to look ahead and prepare than to look back and regret. So on that one, I remember I was in the sixth grade and we always teach coming back, coming back and giving back, giving with your time. 
And I never forget this. Uh, the guy came in and he said that he wished he was trying to encourage us, you know, to do everything we can because you don't want to look back with regret mm. and that he had some regret. And so that's why it's very important for me. I think about preparing, you know, and again, things might not go according to the plan, but I'm going to give my all. And, you know, I might not reach my full potential or if I reach my full potential and that might not be winning, but I know that I gave my all and I don't want to look back and say, oh, if I could have, should have, would have. And that's why I, I try to live my life like that, knowing that, no, I don't have regrets. Might have some disappointments, but not regrets. Well, I think it speaks to uh, how you've kept your edge going forward. So quote number two plays off that a little bit. I maintain my edge by always being a student. You will always have something new to learn. Yes. Uh, that quote is when, when I was competing and even as I'm learning from others is that I have to remain coachable. No matter how great people said I was or what I'm doing, I always keep myself in a uh, position of being coachable because you can always learn, you mm. know, be open to learning, learning about yourself, learning about others in order to become better. Well, Jackie, that plays into the third and the final quote that I'll be putting in front of you right now, but it is about your life and your environment. So here we go. Your environment doesn't have the right to define you. Yes. You know, because a lot of times people, uh, you know, guilt by association, you know, I never forget. You know, I was telling, I was doing an interview and I'm like, I'm from East St. Louis. And they were like, oh, you shouldn't claim there. You can taint you. I'm like, I had never heard that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the environment that I grew in, it doesn't define me. It motivates me. You know, it helps me to uh, surround myself and to understand the experiences that others would never experience, that it allowed me to grow. It allowed me to learn. So, yeah. yes, and I'm always telling people, your environment should define you. You the narrator of your story, how you want it to be. Your, your environment, you learn from it, but it doesn't define you. And for me, it motivates me. Being a motivated lady from age, probably age zero on, but certainly from age nine on, as you look out the window, as you read the headlines, as you look into the lives and the faces of these little children who are dealing with profound adversity right now and a marketplace that is broken and racism and injustice and profound challenges that I can't even understand or imagine. Are you optimistic or are you filled with, with angst? What What's your general emotion as you look forward into this marketplace that is longing for light? You know what? I am one that's optimistic and, and, and keyword is hope, you know, and never give up. You know, there is a time and place, a season for all, but we're going to learn from this, but we can never give up hope. And we got to always be optimistic. You know, there's always something better lurking around the corner, but we just have to make sure that we're ready for it. Well, Jackie, we are ready for it. I, I need you to get your, your shoes on tight. We're going to go for a sprint for the final 94 seconds together. We call these the Live Inspired Seven. These are seven questions that we have asked humanitarians and philanthropists like you, athletes, Olympians, astronauts, heroes, authors. And now we're asking someone that I've always looked up to. Her name is Jackie Joyner-Kersey. So, Jackie, question number one, what is the most influential or the best book that you've ever read? Wow. Uh, the influential and most read, it definitely got to be the Bible. I'm also reading this book right now called The Invisible Child. It's really kind of fascinating. 
Tell me about the, I'm familiar with the Bible and I would encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Tell me about the invisible child. So it's uh, a lady in Brooklyn, New York. And so I haven't gotten through it, but I think it's around homelessness. Okay. And, but still they were going through, going to school and the people didn't know that they were homeless and getting through it, but haven't gotten through it all the way. But it's fascinating though. Well, Jackie, speaking of struggles, you, you have some today. You certainly had some growing up. So what was one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little girl growing up here in East St. Louis that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Oh, I, I would say that um, I think as, as I was growing up, you know, that relentless attitude to never give up. And I, I still I exhibit that today. You know, and uh, and knowing that never give up. You know, I I just think that you know things happen, but don't let things stick to you. So mm -hmm. as a young person, sometimes you know people say things, and we allow those things to stick with stick to us that we manifest them into something bigger that can be really harmful to us as we evolve and grow. So for me, it's like recognizing, you know, when you're younger, yeah, but as you get older, it's sometimes it's tough to peel back those layers and not let those things stick with stick to you. So the relentlessness to optimistically keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. If your home caught fire and all living oh, things gosh. were out and you have an opportunity, so family, every, all the people are out, the pets are out, but you have an opportunity to run in and grab one thing. What's that one thing you would go back in and save? I think I would make sure I get my inhaler for my asthma. <laughs> Jackie, there are so many parts of your story that I wish we had more time to unpack. The fact that you are considered the, the greatest female athlete of all time and you're asthmatic. Those things don't yeah. seem to collide. The, the fact that your coach has been your coach your entire life and your husband. Those things don't necessarily seem to collide. I mean, we get offended when our spouse tells us that we're wearing the wrong colored shirts and you've got a guy at the starting line say, do it again, do it again, Jackie, you're better than that. Like, so there's so many parts of your story that are remarkable. And I just appreciate you grabbing that inhaler, taking a big, yes, and moving forward into life. So moving forward into life, you now find yourself seated on a, on a bench, on a gorgeous day, seated next to someone, anybody, living or dead, who would you want to be seated next to? I had the opportunity, you know, to meet Wilma Rudolph, but I would love to always just be seated by her because she was just such a remarkable woman with so much uh, influence and, yeah. and during the time uh, uh, competing at the highest level and, you know, in the 60s and, and, and never showing any bitterness is that I've heard you share her name several times and I actually did research preparing for today on her because I wanted to learn more for, for our listeners who aren't familiar with her or what she endured. Just briefly summarize what she faced and how she showed up. Yeah. So women root out for story, you know, uh, she had polio and she wasn't, didn't think she would be able to walk, let alone run. And then eventually uh, defeated that went on to become the first woman to win three gold medals in a single Olympiad and went on. Uh, she was a Tiger Bell from Tennessee State, Coach Temple, coached them. And, you know, that was the start of the 
Tiger Bells and uh, and so so many other great women who have come through Tennessee State, but under uh, Coach Temple, and, and then she was a commentator, you know, mm -hmm. for the '84 Olympics, which that's I had an opportunity to meet her then. And then when I was competing in the World Championships in the '90s, and my uh, godchild had traveled with us over to the World Championship. And back then, you during the summer, you would have to say what was your, you know, like you had to do these reports. Your what your summer was like. We wanted her to do, we were telling about Wilma Rudolph and she was like, well, who is that? And so I called Wilma and Wilma had me to bring her up to her, her room and she sat down and gave her a lesson on who she was because they had to pick someone, you know, and my, my gosh, I went to this uh, Christian school, but they didn't have uh, Wilma Rudolph. And so that's who she did a story on and she was able to interview her in person. And then she just continued to do things in the community when I talk about her not being bitter, you know, she could travel the world. And when she went back to Tennessee after winning three gold medals, she couldn't eat at the uh, the counter because of the color of her skin. And never did she come across bitter about it. Wilma was just Wilma, just a beautiful, beautiful person. This woman did not allow her environment to define her. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes. Well, you, you, you took lessons from her life and I just, am so grateful for that. So what is the best advice she, your mother, your grandmother, or anybody else ever gave you? So the best advice Jackie Joyner Kersey ever received is. Well, never give up. You know, when I was younger, I never forget this man in St. Louis. He had come to me and he said, when, when you could win, I didn't know what he meant by that. I really didn't. And, and what he was saying was that, you know, give you all, all the time. You know, because a win isn't a win and a loss isn't a loss, knowing that you have given your all, you know. So for me, it, 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 it was very critical because sometimes you win when you could win. We think of winning first, second, and third. But no, a win is a win when you know you have given your all mm. in anything and everything that you're attempting to do. Give it your all. Jackie, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? My advice I would give my 20-year-old self, uh, the same advice I give myself now is to time management, you know, prioritize, and and always have balance in my life. Jackie Joyner-Kersey, my hero, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? My one sentence would be that she was really a great human being. On behalf of Pamela and Jennifer and Stacy and Andrea and Chris and Noel and Brandy and Amy, our producer and the Keeley organization and everybody else who's tuning in live and will tune in afterwards, I want you to know that you are indeed a great human being and that this world is far better because you are part of it. Thank you. My friends, this is the great Jackie Joyner Kersey. My name is John O'Leary. This is your day. Grab your shoes, tighten them up, put those looses down tight. Brandley won the good race and know that the best is yet to come. Jackie, thank you for your time today. Well, my friends, I told you at the beginning of the episode that you were going to love this episode. I'm so grateful that you tuned in for it. And I'm grateful that a whole lot of folks followed in online in real time, which reminds us of a couple things. If you like inspirational content, follow Live Inspired. Follow John O'Leary, the Live Inspired movement. 
If you love receiving these podcasts week after week, why not subscribe? It is the only certain way to ensure that these episodes end up in your feed. So subscribe anywhere that you pull down your podcast. Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. If you want to help us get the word out on these episodes, a couple ways you can do it. Number one is you can rate and review it. So do it today. Why wait? If you get value from this programming, rate the show. May I recommend five stars? Review the show. May I encourage you to put in some positive comments around the effect and the impact that this programming is for you in your life. That would be meaningful. Secondly, why not tell your friends about it? Bad news travels. Cable news loves to celebrate the negativity of the world. Here at Live Inspired, we don't hide from it, but we celebrate the individuals moving into the storm, striving to make a difference. If that moves you, if that encourages you, let your friends know that you are tuning in to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. That's a really cool way to get this show viral, to get inspiration and life viral. And the third and final way that you can really make an impact with this programming is to live it to not only follow it, to not only tune into it, to not only share it, but ultimately to live it. And when I'm listening in to JJK on the inspiration of her life, there were three quotes that we discussed today that deeply moved me. So my friends, let me share with you from my own Live Inspired Journal three takeaways. Number one, it is better to look ahead and prepare than to look back and regret. This is true for a sprinter, This is true for a long jumper or javelin thrower, but it is also true for a community leader, for a servant, for a spouse, for a single person, for a mama and a papa, a daughter and a son, an auntie and an uncle, a human being in life. It is better to look ahead and prepare, get ready for it, than to look back and regret. Second takeaway, I maintained my edge by always Underline that word, by always being a student, you will always have something new to learn. This from a six-time Olympic medal recipient. I maintain my edge by always being a student. You will always have something new to learn. And then the final takeaway, and there were many, there were so many, but here's the final one I wrote down. Your environment, my friends, does not have the right to define you. Your environment does not have the right to define you. I want to thank you for believing, like I do, that the challenges we face are real, that the headwind we face and walk into is significant. And in the same breath, the foundation remains firm, that you are not alone, that your life is worthy, and that your best days are yet to come. So family and friends, athletes and participants, for this time, And until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. Get those tennis shoes on and live inspired. Well, Achille Company's culture sets them apart and their people live out the unique culture every single day. Perhaps it's best seen through their philanthropic foundation called Achille Cares. It was built on a passion for giving of their time, their talent, and their treasure to help improve the communities in which they live and where they work. We're so excited that they were named one of the top corporate philanthropists by the St. Louis Business Journal for 2021. You can learn more about Keeley Cares by visiting them online at keeleycompanies.com.